Welcome to the world of culture pop with Steve Mason and Sue Kalinsky. Culture, comedy, movies, TV, tech, authors, trends, pop, pop. This is the Culture Pop Podcast. Hey, everybody, welcome to the Culture Pop Podcast. I'm Steve Mason along with Sue Kalinsky. Sue, what's happening? What's new? Oh, just just working, 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 working and working, working and not making any money doing it. Nice. Now, what are you, are you allowed to say what you're working on? Well, I can't really tell you the nature of the shows. I mean, or you'd you have know, to kill it or do you have to I kill have me? To, I have to kill you and everybody who listens to the show. So that's way too much work to track yes. everybody down. Um, they're just they're they're cooking centric shows with celebrities and they're comedy. There's a comedy spin. And um, yeah, so I'm working on those. Give us the things. pitch. Give us the elevator pitch. Um. No, you can't do it. I can't. <laughs> I can't. One Give is us more the thirty thousand foot view. No, one, don't do that either. Well, one 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 is uh is is kind of a hidden camera show within a show. Oh, nice. Fun. Yeah. And the other one um has somewhat of a game show element in a Playboy After Dark kind of setting. Oh, nice. Nice. Very uh, underappreciated show. If you go on YouTube and look at those old Playboy after dark episodes that Hugh Hefner actually did himself, they were fantastic. It was like sort of this dinner party and he would mix interesting people. To I, I think it's one of the coolest things Hugh Hefner ever did. Oh, absolutely. I mean, aside from starting the magazine. Yeah. I mean, it was I, I remember watching it as a kid. Oh, do you really? Oh yeah, well, because I'm old. You are you, um, <laughs> you are a bit older, yes. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, he'd have like politicians, he'd have boxers, he'd have comedians, he'd have you know, you know, like uh, like there's Sammy Davis Jr. with Muhammad Ali at the same party, yeah, you know, stuff yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah, uh-huh, really, really uh-huh. cool. Yeah, so I, was, I was looking ahead uh, before we get to our guest. I was looking ahead at some of the movies that are coming out um, around the holiday time. And I wanted to get your quick take on it. First of all, December 10th, West Side Story, directed by Steven Spielberg. Uh, What's your excitement level on that? I'm really excited because it was my favorite, one of my favorite movies growing up. I had like a major girl crush on Natalie Wood. (laughs) She was just so beautiful. So beautiful. Um, and, uh, you know, just growing up in New York, the whole gang scene, you know. Oh, come on. They're uh, dancing gangs. They're Well, they're come dancing on. gangs, but, you know, they had knives. <laughs> they're dancing. Uh, they're snapping. Got gang. a rocket in your pocket. I mean, just the, the music was great. The Yeah, the dancing was great. Um, the setting was just perfect. And, um, yeah, it's, it's a great story. So I'm I'm I'm. I can't wait to see what he did with it. My excitement level is at a zero. I have no interest in West Side Story. Oh, that, I'm, well, I'm surprised because you really like musicals. I never liked that show. I never liked that movie. I never, I always thought it was kind of hokey. I'm sure, I mean, I'll go see it because I see, you know, I, I, I try to see as many movies in theaters as possible. And I know it's going to be talked about and, you know, the, the Oscar people will say, yeah, you know, it's Steven Spielberg and it's West Side Story and Rita Moreno makes an appearance, all that stuff. I know that'll mm-hmm. be, but no interest. Now, what about uh, December the 22nd, Matrix Resurrections? Matrix Resurrections. What do you think, Sue? Um, I really do not have a lot of interest in that. Come on, That's where the Sue. two of us part. 
this is this is the difference between you and me. Yeah. You are all about West Side Story and I am all about The Matrix. Yeah. I uh I I haven't followed it pretty much from the start. I mean, I saw the original Matrix. Oh, it's genius. Yeah, it 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 is, but it's just uh it's not something that I gravitate towards. Did you, you take know? the red pill? Would you take the red pill or the blue pill? Now, the red pill is to change or the red to pill stay is the to same? Wake, the red pill is to wake up to the entire world and see it for what it is. The blue pill is to continue in this sort of trance that the rest of the world is in. Oh, I would take the red pill. You would? Yeah. Because a, a lot of tough answers show up when you uh, take the red pill. Well, the blue pill just seems like so drabby. Like, Most people why? take the blue. <laughs> the blue pill seems so drabby. <laughs> I want to see, you know, I want the excitement. Yeah, I want to see what's really going on in the world. Mm-hmm. So um, our guest today is on two of my very favorite shows, two of shows that we both love on television. First, there is The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, where she plays Midge's sister-in-law, Astrid. Love that show. She also plays Willa on the HBO series Succession. Her next project is the film Luckiest Girl Alive. It is based on the best-selling novel. Justine Luke joins us. Justine, thank you so much for doing this. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm so excited. <laughs> so uh, so Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Succession, uh, uh, Mr. Mercedes. Uh, Landon in shows like this must feel pretty amazing, huh? Yeah. No, I am constantly knocking on what? <laughs> thanking the universe for landing me on some of the best shows on television with like completely different vibes to each, each of these shows. So yeah, it's great. What was the first movie that you saw that made a big impression on you that maybe made you say, Oh, you know what? That's, that's what I want to do for a living. This is kind of weird, but um, when I was, when I was probably like way too young to see this movie, I went and saw Elizabeth. Oh God. <laughs> yeah. I actually had, it was my, my former babysitter um, was taking me and my brother for the day. And we were going to have this like fun day with her. And she decided let's like all watch Elizabeth. And <laughs> I, we both were like far too young to, I think, I think too young to watch that movie. Probably. Um, I remember it feeling heavy at the time, but I also remember watching Kate Blanchett and just being like, this woman is magical and, um, and the story just really captivated me. And I was just, yeah, I was completely in love with her and her performance and the world that was created. And I remember being like, I want to do that, you know? Yeah. You know, it's funny. Uh, a friend of mine, <laughs> a comic friend, uh, says he wants to write a book called Give It Back. And he wants to go back and look at the people that won the Academy Awards and say, no, you shouldn't have won that. It should have gone to... Um, so, uh, Kate Blanchett actually did not win the Academy Award for that year. So she, I know, wasn't that Gwyneth Paltrow's year? That was Gwyneth Paltrow for Shakespeare in Love, which is a completely delightful movie and all that stuff. But Kate Blanchett, I mean, are you kidding me? That was such a great performance. Oh, she threw down. Hey, I, I also loved Shakespeare in Love, but it was, I mean, it, to me, it feels like, yeah, that was such a heavyweight performance that Kate Blanchett gave. And like you said, Gwyneth Paltrow is so delightful. I'm also in love with her. I think she was just so charming in that part. And it's like a beautiful. I haven't actually see, seen if it holds up. I haven't gone back. But I remember also loving that movie and her part in that and being like, oh, this is such a 
a sweet story <laughs> from what I remember. I remember something with the wrapping around her, like taping herself up and being like, oh, she's great. But yeah, nothing compared to a, a, a Kate Blanchett and Elizabeth. Sue? Oh, sorry. Are you with us? Yes, I fell asleep for a second. No, I'm kidding. Um, so <laughs> so you, you, uh, you went to Juilliard. Um, what, what was that like? I mean, I, I can only imagine that that was um, super intense. Um, yeah, no, it definitely was. I mean, it feels like an acting boot camp kind of uh, situation for four years of your life. Um, you know, the schedule's pretty grueling. It's you know, 7 a.m. to sometimes you go until 10 p.m. and you don't really have a weekend. And I've never like exerted my body that, that extensively in any other situation. I mean, it's just, it really does, you know, um, test how far you can go, but, um, I loved it. I really loved it. And looking back on it, it's one of those like crazy unique situations where I'm like, I never will devote that much time to just doing the work. I'll never get to do that again, just in this like really safe kind of cocoon of an environment. Um, yeah, I think in the time there, I did 16 plays, um, which is pretty amazing when you think about it. So it just gives you such an opportunity to dive in and do all kinds of material and, and really throw yourself in. You know, who was in, uh, who, I'm sorry, Steve, who was in your graduating class? Anybody that we would know? Um, yeah, maybe, um, Corey Hawkins, um, was in my class. He's, um, he was in, in the Heights. He's in, um, he played, uh, he was in, um, uh, oh gosh, straight out of Compton. Um, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, he's incredible. Um, Gail Rankin, who's on glow. She plays the werewolf woman. Yeah, she's mm. great. She's fantastic. Uh, Danielle Brooks, who plays tasty on orange is the new black. Yeah. Um, and then there are a lot of people above me. Samira Wiley was above me. Adam Driver was in school when I was there. Um, yeah, there was just, there was a, yeah, so many talented people <laughs> at that school while I was going there. So indulge me, go one step back. So yeah. um, I always wanted to go to Juilliard. I always thought I was going to be an actor. And that was sort of like a pipe dream for me, a kid in Toledo, Ohio. But I did a lot of school plays. Um, and I still, they still talk about my Henry Higgins in My Fair Lady, uh, <laughs> which people, I mean, it was just, I was critically, acclaimed. what, what uh, were you in high school plays and, and what was your, what was your uh, signature moment? Oh my gosh. You know, it's funny <clears throat> all through middle school and high school, I was always cast as like the comedic fat man <laughs> in, every, <laughs> in every part. I played Friar Tuck. I played Augustus Gloop. Goop. I played, um, who else did I play? I played um, uh, Shmee from Peter Pan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just really had that. I was really, you know, that was my, that was my niche. <laughs> um, I really excelled at those guys. I mean, I really do think that I, I found the fun in those parts. So they like, they're like, great put her on in like she'll ham it up um I love doing comedy I remember even like in high school they assigned me to do like um streetcar named desire scene and I remember when it was over she was like I never thought that my teacher was like I never thought that streetcar named desire and Blanche Dubois was like a comedy (laughs) 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 tone to the (laughs) beats um so yeah I would say like most of the parts that I played were were of uh 
comedic sensibility. And then once I got to Juilliard, the whole, the whole kind of notion is you go in there and they throw you into these parts that are completely different than what you might normally play. So, you know, you'll play the matriarch and then you'll play like bear to the maid and be like this tiny little lady. And, you know, so, and they like really just throw you all over the place so that you don't get pigeonholed into your idea of yourself, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I want to ask you about Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which I think is like one of the great shows on on TV. And the thing that blows me away about that show is uh, the production design and the costumes and the attention to detail. And I, I literally feel like I'm transported to this different era. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. She really, I mean, um, Amy Sherman Palladino and Daniel Palladino really create this insanely meticulous world you know it it shows in their writing how meticulous they are with the pace and you know all the little details and and then with this show in particular you've seen them kind of branched out into all these different directions and they've created this world that as an actor just stepping in as a guest star you kind of it's it's just such a treat to walk in and be like oh my gosh like the level of commitment to creating this space that's so different than where i am now it's really exciting in your yeah. in your head and sue this is kind of for you too because mm-hmm. sue did stand up for many years is that do you feel like that's the story of like joan rivers or toady Fee- is it is it based do you think on a real person or is midge just her own thing you know i'm sure that they found inspiration in you know, um, you see flickers of different comedians in in what they're writing for her, but I I don't know. I watch it and I I see Midge. You know, um, it feels very particular to this world. You know, it's got. I think that they were probably inspired by a Joan Rivers type of situation. I, I know that they've said that, and I know that Rachel also did a lot of research um, and has talked to me about being inspired by comedians like Joan R- Rivers. But I um. But I also feel like the world is so particular that it's not quite, it's not quite in line with the reality. You know what I mean? There's, there's a, there's a style to the comedy and you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, you know, they were both, you know, they were both housewives if you want to, you know, put it in that, in that frame. But it it was, I I look at it as, as such a love letter to her, to Amy's dad, because he was a comedian. Mm, I didn't even know that. Yes, he was a comic. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, I, I will say that I know that um, that Luke Kirby as Lenny Bruce is like just he had those he had those um, monologue his his stand up routines completely memorized before even being called in for the show because he was just such a fan of Lenny Bruce that he grew up just listening to him over and over and over again. And then they call him in for this part and you can tell, I mean, that it's been living in him for such a long time. He's just incredible. So anyway, that's kind of a funny, he, his performance on that show, I think is fantastic. So I love your character. I mean, I'm, I'm Jewish and I, and you know, I have known a lot of people who have converted to Judaism and, you know, and I know that there, there's some parts in, in the show where um, you perceived as being maybe a little too over the top with, yeah. with, with embracing this, but the people that I know who have converted, they are so much more Jewish. I'm going to apologize. Than, That's than, my dog, Sophie, who's going to have a little fit here. Oh, I Go don't ahead, Sue. Her. <laughs> she's a she's a good girl. She's a good girl. So what I'm saying is that they're they're so much more Jewish than than 
than than I am and you know almost everybody that I grew up with and I would think that it's because it's something that you're choosing and it's something that you're that's new to you and you have to study it yeah so you you have to know so much about the religion in order to be a part of it totally yeah it's a lot of work <laughs> so you might as well show it off <laughs> and you know I I um I'll say that even as Astrid learning, for instance, on the Yom Kippur, like the kind of the prayer in the synagogue, um, I had to learn the kind of the chant that they do. And um, I studied it for so, so long. I studied it over and over again. And I'll tell you, I was singing that song around the house, like out with my friends. I was kind of like, ah, Sham knew, you know, like as I was like, because I had just learned it and I was just, you know, I was really leaning into like, wow, I just learned this thing that's so foreign to anything that I've ever learned before. And also you're practicing, like there is a certain of like, you know, you got to strengthen your muscles with it. So I imagine that there's a bit of that, you know, to people who convert to Judaism. Right. So as far as your character, um, is, does Christianity just go away? Like, are you just all in being Jewish right now? Or does, or does your past kind of creep in because that's what you grew up with? I feel like Astrid is all in. I don't know. I don't know how you guys feel about it, but I feel like this is a woman who feels like very good at compartmentalizing and that she's like 100% in this mode. You know, she's going to Israel like 12 times in the first season. She had already gone. So for me, I kind of figured she's like, this is my, this is completely my world. And she's very good at not letting, you know, the other, the, the past Astrid in, you know, it, I think that her level of enthusiasm is informed by the fact that she's probably like pushing against something, you know, there's like a level of like resist. It feels so intense that there must be something that she's resisting against, but I don't think it makes its way into at least the seasons that we've seen so far, you know? Yeah. Like I, um, my sister uh, married a guy who was not Jewish. And um, when her daughters were very, very little, they celebrated Hanukkah and Christmas and, you know, in the Jewish religion, as you know, if your mother's Jewish, then you are Jewish. Yeah. So one day, um, one of my nieces said to my sister, you know, you're so lucky, you know, because, you know, you're Jewish. And she says, well, you're you're Jewish, too, you know, because I'm Jewish. She said, but I'm not full Jewish. <laughs> it, it like upset her that she wasn't full. <laughs> it is really interesting. The way, yeah. Our, our mental states affect, you know, our perception of who we are. It's so funny. So I mentioned my dog uh, went on a little jag there, Sophie. I have two dogs, Sophie and Fredo. You're a dog person too, right? I am. Yeah. I, you know, I'd never had a dog before my current dog named Lily. Um, and I adopted her eight and a half years ago. She was four months old. And, um, and I, I can't, I don't know how I did, had a life before having a dog. <laughs> yep. Yep. It yeah. does change. It does change everything it changes everything yeah it's so it's such a great it's such a great um I, I don't know I think it's one of like life's biggest treasures is having this companion that you you put your mind outside of yourself and take care of and she's such a like great pal yep. um it sounds so nerdy but yeah she's the best she's she's also a very well-tempered cool dog so I really you know hit the jackpot with what kind of dog is it 
you know, she's a little mix. She's a mix of like a, um, a spaniel. I think maybe there's some like long hair chihuahua in her, but she doesn't have any kind of yap at all. She also has a muted howl because she had this kennel cough that got infected and she had to get the surgery done right before, um, I adopted her. So she, she howls like with this like sweetness. It's like, I know nobody can see her, but that's all right. That's all right. She she heard her name and she, oh, Oh, what a cutie pie. Yeah. (laughs) What kind uh, of dogs do you have? um, I've got a beagle uh, named Sophie and a shelter mix, uh, terrier mix called uh, Fredo. His name is Fredo. After Alfredo, the food or (laughs) no, after Fredo from the Godfather. Oh, it's amazing. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. And mm. so you've got. I have Tucker, who's a, uh, he's a Chihuahua mix, but he doesn't look, he looks like a little fox. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And and, and he does have a little bit of yeah. So, so, <laughs> like, I'm, so I'm just going to, we're just going to give him surgery anyway and say that he had chemical. <laughs> he had a kid. He had a, he had an effect. It was very, <laughs> it was dire and he needed it pronto. So <laughs> we went in there and <laughs> gosh. So what did you think when you first read the script for Mr. Mercedes? I, you know, I first read the part of Holly, which is the part that I played, who is, I don't know if you guys have read the books, but um, she's, she's a fan favorite in the Stephen King universe. She's just this like beautiful part. And, um, and I read this, the sides and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited to work on this um, because Sophie Bender, who was the writer who had covered this part in particular within David E. Kelly's script, had written this, just like this really specific way of talking that was so particular to who Holly is. And it gave me such a clear idea of like what, how this woman worked within the world and, um, and her temperament and her pace. And I just, I was immediately like, I can't wait to work on this, you know, and Beyond, I hope I get it. I was just like, I can't wait to just work on it for the next few days and turn in something really good. So I'd say that was the first thing that I felt was just like how special this part was and how specific the writing was. So do you feel a little bit of pressure sometimes? I mean, it's because it's based on a character that people know to bring that to life. Yeah, you know, I luckily I didn't know too much about I read the books, but I didn't know about the Stephen King kind of like fan club <laughs> at that time. I mean, I knew that people loved Stephen King, but I didn't know that they were it completely obsessed with this character in particular. Um, but I will say I showed up to set my first day and I came in like halfway through the first season as Holly. And my first day lined up with Stephen King being on set wow, and, and doing a cameo role where he had like a knife shoved into his neck and he's like laying out. And, um, and so because of that, they wanted to introduce me to him. So they walk up and they, they're like, this is Justine. He's like, Oh, nice to meet you. And then they go, and she's playing Holly and he goes, Oh my gosh, I love Holly. (laughs) And at that moment I was like, Oh gosh, I hope I do this part justice. Cause I like, if, he's, he's since then I've looked it up and he's gone on record being like, this is one of my favorite parts, you know? So the pressure did like really amp up after meeting him and being like, Oh goodness. Like this is this man's favorite, <laughs> one of his favorite yeah. characters and I got to do a good job with it, you know? 
So you you uh you team up with Brendan Gleason, which you know in in future seasons you know develops into basically a real partnership you know to solve crime um your relationship with him is so sweet you know that that first time that you meet him um i love the scene when you're sitting on the bench and you're talking to him and you turn your head to look at him and you 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 talk about and and you do have would you say that you have autism? I mean, is that what Holly? Yeah, yeah. yeah? I think that, um, Holly's def- definitely on the spectrum. Yes. Mm-hmm. So she says that it's straining her neck, and she she can't stay in this position for too long. So then you turn to the other side, but you're still talking to him, and you say, "Well, we could still talk, but we don't have to look at each other, right?" And then he does the sweetest thing: he moves around and sits on your other side. Um, was that in the script, or did he do that? It is in the script, but the way that Brendan executes it, it's just, I think he's like a big, it's, he's got this incredible capability of being this, you know, he does the same thing in Paddington. It's like this guy who's like this really intimidating kind of like intense guy. And then he has this inherent softness and kindness and warmth that just like pours out of him. And I felt moved as I was doing it. You know, I was like, it was just so easy to feel what Holly would be feeling was like, oh my gosh, this person is like seeing me and is like helping me through this moment that might otherwise be really uncomfortable for me. And um, yeah, I was really touched by, by that moment within the scene. And, and that's how it was through the entire series like I just didn't have to work hard to feel the things that Holly was feeling because he was just so impeccable at playing his part you know and in the third season there's this moment where I'm like sitting up on the stand and I'm giving this like long um monologue just to kind of about, or you know I'm 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 up on the stand giving my you know oh my gosh my brain is farting but you know the the moment where she's kind of giving her whole spiel and she's talking through like her entire past with this um town and with this man and i remember looking at brendan and it just felt so easy to say everything that i was saying because i had three years of being with him and um all the history of us like working together and all these scenes that we'd done and my attachment to him and it just felt like effortless getting through this huge testimony you know yeah he he comes off to me as an actor who um is so cozy and would and makes all of his co-stars very comfortable. That's the feeling that I get watching him. Yeah, he's really wonderful. He's just he's really cozy and he's really comfortable and he also works really really hard and he doesn't cut any corners. So you also just feel safe like we're not going to like plow through any walls and things will have to make sense for us. We have to get we have to understand what we're doing here because he just really has a desire to understand every single thing that he does. And that's like an amazing thing to be partnered with. You know, you feel like safe. So. Uh, I, I'm guessing that succession maybe, I don't know if that's as, as sensitive and that sort of sweet relationship you have uh, with the Brendan Gleeson character in uh, Mr. Mercedes at succession is so completely different. This <laughs> is uh this is, uh, you play Willa, who is uh, Connor's, would you say, I am going to use air quotes, girlfriend. Is that is that what you would call it? I would, yeah. I mean, I think that that's where it's gotten. <laughs> it's a very bizarre relationship, but I definitely would call her his girlfriend at this point, yeah. 
Um, do you think Willa loves Connor? Um, I think over the span of the seasons, she grows, she becomes very endeared to him. And I do think that there's something that comes out that is, that, that is a version of love. Yes, I do. You know, she wants to take care of him. She wants to look out for him. Um, I think that she really does care about his well-being. Um, and it's interesting to see how it plays out, you know through all three seasons, but I do think something develops where you see her, you know, he's always been the sugar daddy and um, the one who's supposed to take care of her, at least financially. And you kind of see her as the first and second season evolve, step into taking care of him, which <clears throat> I think is a version of love. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Go ahead, ahead, sorry. You know, you look at these three characters that we're talking about, and they all seem to have something in common as far as being outsiders. It's like you're all outsiders at the core, you know. Um, and in succession, you and Connor are kind of outsiders to the family. And is that something as Willa that you're OK with to kind of just be away from the dysfunctional Michigas? you know, of the family, you know, is that something that you embrace as Willa? Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, I feel like Willa is very happy sitting on the sidelines, watching the neurotic (laughs) meltdowns go down. And you know what? She dips in, you know, it's not like she doesn't complete, she doesn't participate at all. You see moments of her being right there with them, you know, chucking the iPad off the boat. That's like a very Roy move, you know? Um, But I do feel like she's very um, comfortable kind of just stepping in when she needs to and, you know, staying on the sidelines, checking out what's going on when she's not needed, you know? Um, Even in this last, in, in the first episode on the tarmac, like that moment where she's like, okay, I'm here, I'm a fly on the wall, but the moment that I need to step in here and be like, uh, Logan, Connor, you know, like I'll do that job. And then I'm back to like my own stuff, you know? And, and I think it's a really fun place to live with that character. I don't think I've ever seen a show like success. Like, I don't think I've ever seen a show where everybody is as unlikable and Mm -hmm. despicable as, Mm -hmm. as they are. And it's, it's kind of uniform, right? There, your character, Willa seems to be outside that Greg, you have little sympathy for what's going on with Greg, but the characters are so unlikable. And yet I'm so drawn. It's such a delicious uh, drama. Why do you think the show works when you don't really have a, a hero in it? Oh, goodness. I mean, I think that the characters are so specific and so delightful that um, that people just enjoy watching these like crazy dynamics play out. Um, and every single, I, I think the writing is just like delicious. It's so much fun. And watching these actors kind of bring their own like essence to each of these, like ter- their own version of what terrible is or what, you know, their own version of what you're talking about to the table. I think it's just, a fu- it's just fun to watch how it plays out, you know? And, and um, yeah, I don't know. I think, you know, in the same, I, I think that we also just have a fascination with like people doing like bad things right now. You know, you look at, um, white lotus and it's the same thing it was like so much fun to watch these people like 
just lean into their worst selves in moments. And I don't know, you know, I, I think on top of that, like, yeah, the writing and the acting is just so good that it's really, it's like a perfect combo of things. And it's also like this world that seems kind of foreign, you know, it's, I mean, at least for me, I'm not a mega millionaire. So it's like also these kind of like extravagant situations that they're put in you know, behaving in this way. It's, it's like watching a crazy food fight or something. I don't know. Yeah. And we, and we, we've talked to other um, cast members and something that Steve and I always point out, which we love is all of the business that all of the, all of you do when the camera is on you and you're not talking. Yeah. It's just, and th- and that, that makes it so, so much more real for me because you guys are just you're you're in it like like what's his name uh, Kieran Culkin. I mean his asides are just Ugh. you know and and some of them maybe are improvised and some of them are written. But he he had this one line in one of the last episodes where Connor well Ka- Connor came to Kendall's where they all met there yeah and um and then uh, before Connor got in the room someone said oh I think Connor's here and. <laughs> And Karen said, um, oh, yeah, I thought I heard a clown car pull up. Oh, I know. So good. I laughed so hard at that. I also laughed really hard when um, when Brian Cox says, like, uh, he said, you want me to ride with you? And he goes, you want to suck my dick? And, and Karen goes, he said as the sexual assault allegations rolled in. Yeah, the- yeah. I was like flying away. It was so good. You know, there's there's so much there. Like I, I was reading and I'm not smart enough to figure this out. I read it in The New Yorker, but uh, they pointed out in that one episode where the four siblings are all sort of arguing about who's in and who's out. This was I think it was episode two this year. Um, and they pointed out that it was in Kendall's daughter's room Bedroom. and it's sort of infantilized them right they're like little kids in a little kid room yeah and I, I thought read- that's so genius I know I read the same thing and I was like oh my god it's perfect I don't know how- yeah I must have read the same thing as you because when I read that I was like it's true yeah there's these like these grown-ups just like being little kids again you know it's so it's so funny yeah and Kendall even said don't sit on that <laughs> you know like something that a sibling would say if they were in someone else's room too in one of their brothers or sisters yeah, rooms, yeah, yeah. you know, don't touch it. Don't sit on that. I know it's so good. And I, and I didn't even, it's one of those things where it's like perfect as you're watching it. And then when it's called, you're like, like you said, it's like a genius thing that you don't quite notice until you notice it. And then it's like, this is amazing. So I, I asked this question. I forget when I, who, who we were talking to. It might've been uh, Alan Ruck who, who plays uh, Connor. Yeah. Um, do you think Shiv, actually loves Tom because she had that fling with Nate. Now she seems to be trying to like repair that relationship. Actually, it was Ashley Zuckerman who was just on the show who plays Nate. Um, Do you think there's love there? Do you think Shiv loves, um, does she love Tom? You know, it's so I was just listening to Sarah talk on another podcast. I think it was the ringer um, about how this season it feels like Shiv is going through an identity crisis. And I guess that's kind of what I've walked away with. It's like, does this woman know herself? Does she know what she wants, who she loves, who she doesn't love? It feels to me like 
there's obviously something she needs something from Tom. You know, there's that moment in the last episode where she's like, she, she needs him to tell him, tell her that he loves her, you know? And there's this kind of like desperate, really uncomfortable moment on the phone with them. So I definitely think she needs him in some capacity. And I do feel like there is a certain version of love. I mean, it's the same thing with Kieran talking about his father, you know, and, and that there's, and, and talking about, you know, protecting Kendall in that last episode and saying, you know, he rate, he taught me how to pee pee or whatever. It was yeah, in my yeah. You know, there's like all these different versions of love that I, it's not a love that I definitely, I, I identify with necessarily, but I think it's their version of it, you know? And so I feel like Shiv, is trying to figure it all out, but I do think she has love for Tom in some capacity. I don't know. That's just my take. Yeah. <laughs> many varieties of love on that show. Yeah. What do you think? Do you think she likes, she loves Tom? I think she needs him. I don't think she loves him. And by the way, your character, Willa. Yeah. I've always, I mean, take, take no offense to this, but I've always thought she was uh, just has been just using Connor. Yeah, that, that there's that that there's not really a redeeming sort of love on the show at all. Everybody has such an agenda uh, that that I don't even know what love looks like on yeah. that show. I, that's the thing. I think you could quote you could put that in quote. I don't know what love looks like. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm right there with you. Uh, I think it. Yeah. It's hard to identify within this family. Um, I don't know. I guess that's my take on. Uh, yeah, that's my take just because I'm also, you know, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I, I feel like there's something going on there that makes Willa stick around. Like she could eat, you know, I know she's using him. I know that there is like a monetary, uh, obviously a huge monetary component to this whole thing. But I also, I do feel there are moments where she steps up and steps in that she doesn't necessarily have to, that she could just kind of like blase kind of let them roll by. And I do think she cares about Connor feeling at least, you know, involved in this family, at least a little bit, you know, feeling a little bit of his own power feeling. I don't know. I think she takes care of him in a certain way, which like you said, it might not be love, but it's something. Would would you want to be that rich if it came with that level of uh, unhappiness and no. and drama? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> See, I don't know what they're fighting over. I'm like, what? Why do you even want this as a world? Like Connor kind of has the right idea. Connor's got the place in Sedona, and he's sort of off to the side a little bit. He's not right in the middle of everything. I think that's how I would be. I would not want to be. Kendall or Shiv or Roman, because they're right in the middle of this, this hurricane uh, that's, that's happening on a, on a continuous basis. I know it just feels, um, it feels like this really weird mix of like incredibly codependent and also completely lonely within like every single this like lifestyle that they have it's like this like enmeshed dramatic like toxic relationship where also like it doesn't even have the benefit of like and we feel warm together and you know you look at these families where they're like really there's like cuckoo crazy stuff happening and they're fighting and it's not but they also like love each other so much and you see like you know um like moments of like them kind of you know nourishing each other and this is just 
it's just, it's like, there's no benefit to it. You know, it's like, it's a bunch of drama with like, not even a little bit of warmth. It just feels really lonely watching them, at least for me. (laughs) I think what would be brilliant is to do a prequel and see them when they were younger. Mm. To see what their family life was, you know, where this, where, where, where this kind of, um, where, where this, you know, was neurotic and power hungry and all that stuff, where that came from, or just, just the duplicity of it all. They're so duplicitous. And it's like, it's like a, it's an ongoing pissing contest, you know, every day with them, you know, and, and just when you think that maybe someone had, a warm moment, like even all this stuff that's going on with Kendall, like how they all came to the house and, you know, he was under the impression that they were going to side with him. And then one by one, they just were like, fuck you. <laughs> you I'm know, out. They all just left, you know, I'm out. Um, yeah. Sad. <laughs> it's so sad to so, me. So, so as an actress, do you reach a point? Cause now you've got, you've got, uh, multiple shows and you've got luckiest girl alive coming out next year, which sounds great. I, I didn't read the book, but, uh, but I know a lot of people read it. It's a big bestseller. Do you reach a point where you say, okay, I've, I've arrived. I'm a, I'm a working actor. This is what I do. Like, was there a moment where you said, okay, I've, I've gotten somewhere. Um, I think that those, they're two different parts. The I've I've arrived. No, I don't. I don't feel like I've gotten to a point where I feel like okay, I've arrived. I'm in. It's okay. Everything. You know, um, I do feel like I've gotten somewhere. You know, um, to be working with these incredible people. Um, I don't know to be in the room with a, a Brian Cox, a Brendan Gleeson, a Jesse Armstrong, a Mark Mylod, you know, all of the best talents out there. You have to have some feeling of like, okay, I must be doing something right that I'm in these rooms with these people, you yeah. know, but I don't think I've gotten to a place of like comfort at all with, you know, the momentum of my career or feeling like safe. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if anyone does. I hope that eventually I do. I've definitely gotten less, um, tied to the roller coaster of it all if that yeah makes. yeah well no, I, uh, I just what, could i just want and wanted to ask yeah. one question because you did you were doing like were you doing these three shows simultaneously i was yeah i was doing them all at the same time up until season three of um of succession yeah um yeah i know it was it was cuckoo uh i was um, flying between Charleston, which is where we shot Mr. Mercedes, and then Succession and Maisel were in New York, and then Succession actually went to um, uh, that year. They went to London, so I was kind of like darting back and forth. This is all pre-COVID, obviously, but um, yeah, you know, it was crazy, but also like the dream. It's my dream, you know, and I'm in a place where I'm not, you know, I've talked to Alan Ruck about it, where he's just like, I'm ready to do a sitcom in LA, (laughs) (laughs) my family, and I'm just chilling and I can take, and you know, I'm, I'm young and I have like the stamina to do it. So it's fun for me, but yeah, it was crazy. (laughs) Did you, did you have to decompress going from character to character to character? You know, like just like being this, you know, to to from being Holly to being Willa, you know, um, to being Astrid. I mean, they're they're so like I said, they're they're there's a there's a um, something that's similar to the core, but they're all such different characters. Was that very challenging to go from one to one to one? 
You know, the writing is so strong on each of these shows that I feel like the writing just like pulls you in. I mean, that's kind of how I felt was like, I would take a script and I, I would look at what I was doing and I, I didn't have to do so much of like the decompressing or letting go of the last character and getting into this one because you read these parts, like the, the dialogue and you're just immediately like sucked into it and you don't really have to think too hard about what you've left behind. At least that's my experience there were some times where I was just exhausted by some like one scene that might have happened on Mr. Mercedes that was like a pretty intense scene or you know just had like crazy hours or was just emotionally taxing but in terms of like finding my way out of one part and into another yeah the writing is just so strong that um I I just focused on the writing and, and it would kind of pull me right in so, uh, well, listen, we'll let people know. Obviously, we are uh, wrapped up in succession. It's on, it's on HBO and it is completely uh, brilliant. You can catch up on Mr. Mercedes on Peacock, uh, on Amazon Prime. You've got uh, the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Uh, fantastic stuff. Uh, congratulations on all of it. And uh, Justine, we appreciate you coming on. Thanks for having me. This is really fun. <laughs> and I hope you guys enjoy the season. It's it's really, really good. It's really, really fun. And it gets, I think, even better. So Cool. Thank you so much. Right, Thanks, bye, Justine. Bye. Thank you. Justine, that was great. And uh, Succession, just for me, best show on TV, period. I wait for it. And by the way, watch it twice because there's no way to catch all of the funny lines uh, that, that happened in that show. All the mean lines are just, there are so many, you, you, you've you got to watch it a second time. Oh, I, I, I sit with a, with a pad and, and a pen and, and write them down so I don't forget them. Oh God, there's some fun. There's a moment in this, uh, in the episode where they were all in, um, I guess it was Roman's wife's apartment mm-hmm. uh, and the four siblings were there. And there was one moment where, uh, Kendall gave one of his big soaring bullshit speeches and uh, Shiv just went like this. She went unsubscribe, unsubscribe. <laughs> I've stolen that. Oh God. I mean, it is just so cutting. Yeah. Yeah. It is great. They, they take no prisoners. Nope. Not at all. Uh, well, you know, Sue, who makes this show possible every single time we do it, Jacob and Ronnie. It is Jacob and Ronnie. And, you know, I've always talked about how he's the biggest and the best. And he really is. You see the billboards around town and the TV commercials and all that stuff. You know, he also gives every single one of his clients personal attention. So if you are involved in any kind of accident, yes, he's the biggest and the best. Yes, he's going to get to the maximum compensation, but he's also going to deal with you directly. Uh, he'll make sure that uh, that he takes care of the insurance company and those phone calls and the paperwork and gets you to a doctor if you need it. And at the end of the day, he did. Uh, for, for me, he was the first call I made. He should be your first call, too, in the event of any kind of accident or injury. So remember the number 844-24-JACOB. That's 844-24-JACOB. 844-24-JACOB. Well, remember... Accident or injury. Call Jacob and Ronnie. Call, Call Jacob. Jacob. Yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take we it. We have no choice. We have yeah. no choice. We don't, we don't, we don't redo those. Do you, no, we don't, there's never a take two <laughs> on the Jacob and Ronnie jingle. Hey, Sue, uh, fun today. 
Yeah, a lot of fun. She's great. She's fantastic. And uh, thanks very much for listening. Don't forget, hit the subscribe button if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Uh, Also, we want to thank, and I've been mispronouncing his name. I think I've got it now. Our sound engineer is Milos Yelenovic. Yelenovic. What were you saying? Uh, Jelenovic. Yelenovic. Okay. And he let you know, hey, he, he let I, me appreciate, know. I appreciate the shout out, but get my name right. Here's my name phonetically. Exactly. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. And we will see you all next time on the Culture Pop Podcast.